You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey, for the kids in the service, now's the time for you to take those lesson, that lesson that we just saw, minus the finger-chin movement. <laughs> I'm glad I don't have anybody doing that to me. Uh, but pull out your sheets, and uh, as you guys know, the, the drill, that's just uh, without having kids' classes right now, this is kind of our way to help kids know that they're still important to us. And so, mom and dad, feel free for them to use those materials, and I'm sure you've got other things there to keep them occupied as well. Well, it's awesome to be back. My family and I had a good time uh, in Maine. We were busy and also saw family, my wife's uh, uh, parents, and so... Uh, and, and, and some other family as well, but there's no place like home. And uh, so appreciative, Dan, last week. We uh, actually stayed home just making sure that we didn't have anything funky going on with traveling. Even though we went to Maine, it's a, one of the approved states, you know. Uh, we just thought, you know, we just got in Saturday. Let's just make sure that, you know, everything's good. So anyway, it's awesome to be back with you guys. I want to give you kind of a mental picture as we've been talking about what it means to be blessed. And we're all born into this world. Nobody tells a baby they need to be blessed. Every baby wants mama to hold them, right? They want to be cuddled. They want, you know, moms and dads. You can always tell new parents because they're the ones walking around like they need that extra cup of coffee. They haven't had any sleep all night, you know, and that no one has to, you don't have to train a baby to know that it needs to eat and it needs to be changed. It needs to be held and it wants to be comfortable. We are born in this world wanting blessings of life. We just, we, we, we want that. And we, we go through life and want things to work out well from whether it's the team on sports that we get. We hope we get to play the position that we want. And, you know, as we go off to school, we, we want life to turn out well for us. And we then ultimately, if we get married, we want those things to work out well and jobs and all of that. And Jesus is writing to us in these, we call them in the church Beatitudes, these, which just is a fancy word from the Latin that means blessing. He tells us these eight things that we should recognize that really are blessings from God that we don't have to pay money for, you don't have to go get or earn, if you will. I want to give you a, a, a picture of what these are like. These are really not eight separate things, you know, well, I've got this and you've got that. We're all challenged to make these a part of our life, and they really are kind of like eight tributaries that of a river that all flow into one stream, if you will. The Hudson River is the 39th, which doesn't make it any big river. It is to us, but it's the has the 30. It's the 39th biggest river, the most water output of any river in the U.S. Okay, so it it puts out 22,000 uh, cubic feet of water per second. That's a lot of water, right? In comparison, the Mississippi River is over half a million cubic feet per second. That is a ton. That's a lot of water, literally. But what's interesting is if you follow the Hudson River up and all of its tributaries up to the northernmost part of where it begins, it begins up near Mount Marcy. And in that area, you can literally step across the little brook. It's just a tiny little thing, you know. I don't know, maybe a couple of feet per second. I don't know what the flow is there. And all the way down through, and the Mohawk being... Is the Mohawk the biggest feeder to the Hudson? Is there anything bigger that feeds it? I didn't take all my... Some of you are like, Sean, you're really nerding out way past me already. But I didn't really go far depth in this. But, you know, it gets fed. And every little tributary, every little discharge, every little thing just keeps feeding it and feeding it feeding it into one big river and one outlet as it makes its way 300 miles or so down into to New York Harbor. 
That's what these eight Beatitudes are. What God is really telling us is there's one main river in our life that He's telling us, like, look, if you really want to be blessed in life, if you want to see yourself in that way, and if you want not so much to earn this blessing, these aren't things that you earn. We're wired in our mentality to, you know, go work a job and I earn it, and to earn my way and earn this and earn that. But what He's telling us, He's trying to repoint us, and He says these eight things feed this one picture. And what God's trying to tell us is that in life, they aim at the one thing is we will pursue God with our heart. That is the source of blessing in every area of life, in every area. If we're not careful, we miss these blessings. We, we almost, well, we'll almost see them like, you know, it's like if you get a new car or a new to you car, you know, which is not necessarily new, but it's new to you, that you, you, you're, you're happy, right? Most of the time, I mean, you might like, oh, I can't believe I paid all this money and I can't believe I got to pay this tax and all of that. I mean, there's the, that's the part we all cry about. But hopefully, you know, you enjoy it and you're happy with it and get to cruise around. You're blessed with that new car. But if you think about it, that new car is only a blessing while you're in it and while you're driving. It's not a blessing when it's sitting in the garage and you're paying for it, you know, or into the shop paying for it. It's not a blessing when you're writing the checks for it. It's not even a blessing when you're there at work or you're at home. It doesn't, it's not a blessing to you 24-7 in every area of your life. It's only a blessing in that it gets you from point A to point B, and hopefully it's either got a cool radio or you like to drive it or something that's you like the flash of it or whatever, you know, you, you like it, but it's a very limited blessing. Don't make that mistake and read these as eight specific little things that God is just blessing us in a narrow slice of life. What he's trying to tell us, guys, is this, is that, hey, if these eight things are part of your life and feeding into your soul, you're going to be blessed in every area of your life. There's not a moment, not a second, not a nanosecond of your day, of your week, of your year, of your lifetime that these are a part of your life that you would say, well, I'm not blessed of God. Like Jesus is telling us, almost kind of like a blueprint, but He's telling us the pathway. And these eight things all point us to focus and to put our heart upon God. That's the commonality of all of these. It's a Jesus is speaking to a people who have had decades, centuries being steeped in religious tradition, steeped in all the religious sets of rules and all of the programmatic things, and they knew all the stuff that they were supposed to do, and they went through the rituals and the customs and all of that, but what was missing was a heart for God. And what Jesus came into the middle of that world, and it was disruptive. That's why the religious leaders couldn't stand him. They hated him, and ultimately they betrayed him. They, they tried to get rid of him. <laughs> they did. I mean, they killed him, but we know that they really couldn't get rid of him. And Jesus came into this world saying, Guys, it's not about all of that. What matters is a heart for God. And so Jesus is speaking. He's challenging us to cut through all of the things that, that make us comfortable religiously, the things that we've gotten either gotten used to, taken for granted, or maybe things that we've come to trust and rest in that really aren't worth resting in. And He's saying to us, look, let's be real. If you want to be blessed in this life, it starts by being poor in spirit. In other words, recognizing that you're a sinner before a holy God, because until you get to that spot, you're not dealing with reality. You're fooling yourself. You're, you're, you're totally missing the boat. It begins there. And each of these streams, as they feed into our soul, is meant to, to channel our hearts 
toward Him because ultimately as, our, as He becomes our focus and as we enter into a relationship with Him by faith that He saves us through His Son Jesus, His blessing touches every sphere of our life. So as you read these, read them you know, specifically, but realize that God is trying to show us how to be blessed. So much money is spent trying to on, on, on advertisement and so much we spend money and time trying to bless ourselves in the middle of all of that. And Jesus is cutting through all of that. And He's cutting through all the religiosity. And He says, look, guys, real blessing comes from pursuing the God in heaven. So with that, let me share with you the fourth beatitude, the fourth blessing that He says in Matthew chapter 5. He's sitting on that hillside and He's sharing with the people. This was one of the early teachings of Jesus and they were just, they were hungry for it. And listen to what He says in verse 6. He says this. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Who hunger, who have a an intense desire and a regular thirsty for righteousness, for that which is good and right, flowing out of their life and to be in that world. And he says, for they shall be guaranteed, 100%, they will be satisfied. First thing that Jesus tells us is, if you and I want to be live a life of blessing before God in heaven, and to be in a position where He can bless us. We don't earn it. It's by grace. The currency, the money that works in heaven is grace. Not our earning stuff, but it's simply God freely giving to us in, in life, our salvation and giving to us blessing that comes through His Son. But as we enter into that relationship, we're in a position that He grants and gives us those. And He says the first thing that with this particular beatitude is that we need to know is that that we must hunger and thirst for that which is, is right, that which is righteous, that which is good. There's a lot of things that we can have desire for in this world. A lot of things that we can want. You probably have a, a list like that. I have a little, you know, I do a lot of Amazon. It, guys shop too. Ladies, I know stereotypically you're always called as the ones to shop. Let's be real. Guys shop just as much as you do. They just do it differently. And, you know, if I go to Amazon and I see something, I'm like, I think I might like that one day. I will put it in the little wish list. I think, you know, wish lists are for me, you know. And so there's a little list in there. And honestly, a lot of times that's as far as it gets and I save money because later on I'm like, eh, I really don't need it and it goes away. It saves me money. You know, I'm grateful for that. But sometimes I will end up buying it and I don't have to go research it and find it out. We all have things that we desire in this world. Things that we buy, things that we desire deeply in our soul, relationships. We desire future. We desire purpose. We desire meaning. We desire all, all kinds of things. And what Jesus is telling us that on that very short list should be a desire that we hunger and we thirst for righteousness. Now, I'll be honest with you. If I am really hungry and thirsty, in that moment, I'm looking for something way more basic than the next book or the next toy or the next gadget or the next tool on Amazon, right? Jesus is telling us that this hunger for righteousness is a basic need of our soul that we should be desiring for Him. Now, it's not naturally our desire as people. 
This is not normally, naturally, intrinsically of our own. In fact, before we know Jesus, before we're forgiven of our sins and saved, the Bible says this about us. The Bible says this about all people, regardless of how religious you are or what faith you were brought in or what denomination or religion you've had, whether you're an atheist or not, doesn't matter who you are, where you are. The Bible says this. The Bible says that in Romans 3, none is righteous, no, not one. Not one single person is born into this world naturally righteous, naturally good, honorable before God. Not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Nobody. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. I could keep going there as the Bible reads it, but I think you've got the picture. We're told Jesus tells us to desire something which is not naturally our, our own. To desire something that we don't naturally have, that we can't naturally produce, that we can't naturally do in and of ourselves. I, uh, when we were in Maine, I took my family up a mountain that I had hiked uh, a number of times, a lot of times in fact, uh, in Western Maine called Tumble Down Mountain. I had a job that I lived on top of that mountain, just a tent. We were way up. Uh, it, it was at altitude. It was like right at tree line. I was taking care of releasing and falcons for the state of Maine. And, uh, and, and the falcons were, uh, at that time, they were endangered. And so we were releasing young chicks on the side of the cliff. So I was mom and dad to, to seven peregrine falcons for that summer. And I would throw quail down for them to eat, but I didn't teach them a thing. Right? I didn't go out there, you know, trying to like, and it was over a thousand foot cliff, and I definitely didn't do any takeoff practice, you know, with them, like, hey, watch me, guys, you know, this is how you do it. And I want you to know the day came when we opened the doors, you know, we let them kind of get used to the environment so they could kind of see what it was like. And, and the day came, and they must be fearless because think about it, they didn't have mom and dad. They had never been free in the wild. They were hatched and born in captivity. They'd never seen adult mom and dad falcons do their thing. They're amazing birds. They can fly over 200 miles per hour. It's just amazing. And the day came where they just wandered off and they decided, I think I'll jump off this cliff. And they go for their first fly. And it's incredible. And they could literally, or so fast, they could catch dragonflies out of the air. I mean, they're just incredible flyers. It's intrinsically in them. Nobody had to tell them. Nobody had to teach them. Nobody had to model for them. They didn't even get it from mom and dad to learn how to do it. It was in them. What Jesus is telling you and me is this. None of us in this room intrinsically know how to fly in righteousness. It's not our own. It is not inside of us. It is not naturally born in us. That's a shock to our system. It's a wound to our pride. We don't like it. We want to fight against it. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm a good person. I'm this and that. And Jesus is like, uh, eh, wrong answer. Sorry, no. You're not righteous, but you need it. You can't jump off that cliff and fly, but you need to, and you need to desire it because you will not be blessed in this life before me eternally or even in this life unless you gain this. So make sure you hunger and thirst for this. It's an injunction for you and for me to do that. Well, what does that righteousness look like? What is it? What does real righteousness look like? Most of us have a muddy definition of what that's like, right? 
You know, we don't go out and for washing the dishes, find the, the, the latest mud hole, the, you know, mud puddle outside and say, well, that's water and go wash our plate, you know, and go feed our baby from it. You know, we would never do that because it's muddy, dirty, right? We, would, we wouldn't do that. All of our understandings of what real righteousness like is, is like that. We're talking about the righteousness that belongs to God. We're talking about nothing less than 100% perfect. You see, when we compare ourselves to each other, we can make ourselves look pretty good compared to the next guy because we can always find somebody worse than us. And if, we, and if we're really honest with ourselves, we'll compartmentalize. Well, I don't gossip as much as that person does. Wow, you should hear how much they gossip. And of course, as soon as we say it, we just did the same thing. As soon as we thought it, we're gossiping almost to ourselves. Well, I, I, don't, I'm, I don't have a foul mouth like that person does. I'm not, I'm not addicted to pornography like this person is. Oh my goodness, I'm not so greedy and desiring all this like this person does. And I've never committed murder like that guy. And I never raped like that guy. And I've never done a, a Me Too moment like what I'm seeing on TV. And I'm not a, a racist. And, and if we're not careful... We all of a sudden, we pick and choose in every little area of our life, and we look pretty good. But the righteousness that we're talking about is the righteousness of God. And God's standard is so off the chart to what we are, we can't fathom that it's even possible. We can't fathom that God could be so sterile that you know, every, I don't care how sterile a surgery room, a surgical room is in a hospital or up at, uh, at the fab plants making all the technology, the chips that have to be so sterile and all of that, you can only get it so good. Like it'll never be 100% perfect. We're talking with God 100% pure righteousness, no evil, no intrinsic badness completely holy. It's why when we read the Bible, and the Old Testament in particular, we read the laws there. That's, the laws are God's righteousness on paper, and they look so hard. It's why when we turn and look at Jesus, Jesus is the embodiment of those laws, that goodness that God has written on paper, like here's what I'm really about, and He lived that out perfectly. That's why we see Him being cursed out and why we see him under attack. It's why we see him literally being crucified all the while and not uttering one self-protective, one wrong statement, fighting for himself. And you and I would have been jumping up and down, yelling and screaming. And why we see Jesus never once acting for himself, only acting for the benefit of the people that he came to serve who didn't deserve it anyway, and honoring God in heaven. Jesus, well, if you really want to know what righteousness is like, take a deep look of what you, God expects and what we should live in the way Jesus lived and see how you measure up. And we would all fall far short of that. That's the righteousness that Jesus tells us that we should desire. What happens in so many people's lives is they check out. They think, well, I can never, I'm not that bad. Two, two, two things. I'm not that bad compared to everybody else. I'm a pretty good person, so I'm good enough. I'm good enough. I know how to work with good enough, right? You do too. I'm in the middle of, as you guys know, remodeling a house. I told somebody this morning, it's the first morning in a month I've woken up rested and refreshed because 
You know, when you're working and you're in all of that and you're doing that afterwards and you're 50 or 51 or whatever I am, you get, you get tired. It gets like exhausting and I get the next day and I got to get this done because I got to make this happen and make that happen because I got this other thing going on and I finally just said enough. I'm resting this weekend. I'm not doing much of anything or any of that. And, and you get tired and now that middle of that rant, what was I talking about? I don't remember. Huh? Being old. No, that was not my point. But thank you for that reminder. Huh? I can't even hear you, which proves I'm old. Living like Jesus. I don't remember anyway, so it's irrelevant. So we need righteousness two directions. Let me get back to where I do know I need to be. So there will be a point to that, and I don't often do that, but occasionally it happens. There's Jesus' righteousness. We, we're told to crave that, and it's going to come toward us in two ways. Oh, I know where it was. I was in the middle of remodeling a house. Okay. God's standard is perfect, and ours is not. I work with good enough. Don't mind the lights, so come back on again. When I look at my house, you would walk in, and the stuff that I'm done, you're like, Sean, this looks great. I think you would. And I'd be like, yeah, but I know over here I got a problem, and I got this, and I kind of cheated here. And, and if you brought a person in, you know, I, don't, I, I, I do all of the stuff myself. And so it does look good, and it, but it's really not perfect. And anybody that really knows what they're doing is going to see the flaws. We become like that. We look at our life, and we think good enough. And God is, heaven is looking at us and like, I'm sorry, that's not good enough. Anything less than perfect is not good enough. And so we deflect. The righteousness that God wants for us to have is, comes at us two ways. He wants to declare us righteous, to be good, and that happens at the moment when we finally give up and stop trying to save ourselves and we instead trust God's pathway of, of salvation. And instead of trying to earn our way toward God, we accept that God has already done it through us. And when we surrender our life to Jesus, knowing that He lived perfectly so that He could be our salvation, that He could earn that salvation on our behalf, and we trust Him by faith, turning away from our sin and ask Him to save us, the Bible says that God declares us. He pronounces us to be righteous before Him. It's much like, I, I think there's four or five places I saw that you can still be dubbed a knight. Uh, I think Spain and Italy and England might do that. And when a, when a monarch or somebody of importance dubs a, a person a, a knight, you know, the, you, you've seen the movies or whatever, you know, the person gets on their knees and they take that sword sideways and touch them on the shoulder and the other shoulder, and a person rises a knight. The only thing that changes in that moment is what the, the queen or king said about that person. They're the exact same person before and after. That's what God does when He saves us. You and I simply get on our knees and say, God, I need to be saved. And God says, because you trust my son Jesus, I declare you. I pronounce you as the authority in all of the world. I pronounce you to be completely good and righteous irrelevant how you've lived, you are now good. God makes His pronouncement over us and He forgives us. And that's why we can have a relationship with Him now and it goes on into eternity. And then He pragmatically, the Holy Spirit comes into our life and He begins to make us and to apply, makes us more and more what He's always called, already called us to be. 
That's the righteousness that we're to hunger. And if you and I don't hunger that once we trust Jesus as Lord of our life, then something, my friend, is deeply wrong. Something is deeply wrong. Just like a baby craves to eat and to drink it's for, for food, for you and I as a follower of Jesus who've taken that step, who've entered into that relationship with God, He puts within our soul a hunger and a desire even more for His righteousness to, to not live like those old ways, and we begin to discover more and more what sin really is. And I've had that conversation with so many people after they've trusted Christ, like, wow, I didn't realize all of this stuff was bad. And they, I don't have to tell them it's bad. Their conscience and before God, God's teaching them that. And the Holy Spirit is telling them these things. And we are challenged for the rest of our life to hunger and thirst for that which belongs to God, to grow in that. For you and for me, that should not be a discouraging thing. Oh, I'll never get all of it. I'll never. In fact, it's the opposite. Jesus told us you will be satisfied. What this actually means is, and this is the exciting part, is that today you still have not discovered all of the salvation that God has for you to experience. But today, God wants you to experience even more of His righteousness and has even more for you in your walk with Him. That should be exciting. It should motivate us and urge us forward. Well, let me share with you, and I need to move quickly because I know I spent a long time on that renovation <laughs> illustration. So let me share with you how do we cultivate this hunger and thirst in our life. See, if we're not careful, we read these Beatitudes, well, I'm not poor in spirit, so I guess I don't ever get blessed. Well, I'm not mourning, so I guess I can't be blessed. Well, I'm not really hungering and thirsting for righteousness, so I guess I can't be blessed. What Jesus is challenging us is to cultivate that. Look for that. I cleaned my garage. I feel like my garage was a complete disaster with everything yesterday and, uh, and, or that I've been working in. And it was hot enough. It's kind of humid this afternoon. I got thirsty. You can do things to make yourself hungry. You can do things to make yourself thirsty. And so let me give you some of those to help you with hunger and thirst for God. Go to Psalm 119. If you, you, if you uh, don't have a Bible in front of you or your phone open, write these notes down. But Psalm 119 really talks about what it means to hunger for God's Word. I'm going to share a few verses with you. Psalm 119 says this, Blessed are those whose way is blameless. That's the righteous part, right? You're blameless when you're righteous. Who walk in the law of the Lord. That's the righteousness of God on paper in the Old Testament. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in His ways. Here's the first thing. If you want to cultivate righteousness in your life, seek God Himself. You see, if you're not truly hungering for righteousness right now, if you're kind of like, yeah, I'm coasting, yeah, there's some stuff that I know I should be, but I'm just not worrying about it. The real problem is, is you're not seeking God. You see, you can't separate those two. You can't seek the righteousness of God without seeking the God of righteousness. They go together. They naturally go together. And that's why in Psalm 119, the Bible says, look, I, I'm walking in the law of God. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who keep that righteous life but who seek Him with their whole heart, who seek God. If that hunger in your life right now for His righteousness is a little distant for you, then I want to challenge you to seek God in your heart, to seek Him. 
Second way to cultivate that righteousness we get from Psalm 119. Value it and commit to it. Look in verse 5. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. <laughs> Listen to the writer. Oh, God, that I would just in my natural life be steadfast. He's being honest with himself. He's like, sometimes I'm there, sometimes I'm not. I wish I would be continuously steadfast. He valued it. Value the life of righteousness before God. Make it important to yourself. You see, you hunger for that which is important to you. He goes on and and says, in verse 14 he says this, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. God, I value you and I desire your testimonies as much as I do a new vehicle. God, I desire your testimonies as much as I want a paycheck. God, I desire your testimonies as much as I want that new tool or that new toy. God, I, it's just as important for me that I have your righteousness, your word, your salvation ongoing increasingly in my life as much as any other riches. Value it. Value it deeply. This verse isn't on the screen, but verse 72 says this, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. God, your word, your righteousness... My soul, in verse 81, longs for your salvation and I hope for your word. Value it. Commit to it. How do you begin to value things truly? By watching them and making them a part of your life. Think about this with me for a second. I watch... Uh, Susan and I are kind of picky about the things we watch. Just there's so much garbage, frankly, on TV, and kind of are in, in movies and whatever. And if it's if it's not somehow at least not dishonoring to God, you know, at least neutral. If it's dishonoring to God, it's off the list, right? You know. And so we try to watch things that are at least not dishonoring to God, and if not necessarily directly honoring Him, and and if things aren't edifying to us, like some things are not necessarily wrong or evil, but afterwards we're like feeling yucky or just like this is just not good, like not helpful. We stay away from all that. So consequently, the list gets pretty short when you're trying just those two criteria. And so one of the YouTube shows, channels I started watching was this one called Turning Rust. It's like this young guy down in Texas and he and his dad would go out and find these old junker cars that had been in fields and back lots and people's yards. I mean, from like the 40s, you know, 50s and 70s. And, and they would try to get them started and run them. Then they would take them, they'd haul them out of there and they'd change all of that. And, and, and it just, I really don't have that much of an interest in cars, but it's just the guys are even Christians. I just liked it. It was just kind of fun. I watched a few episodes. And before you know it, I found myself driving down the road like, oh, look at that. I'm like, oh, wow, you could do something with that. I started valuing it without trying to. Why? Because I spent my time in it and I watched it. If you don't believe that's not true, then why are all the commercials on TV busy getting in your face? All the advertisements. If it doesn't work, you see, they tell you that you need something and they sell you on it and it creates your hunger for it. Why are all the cooking shows out there? Because they want you to go cook. And it's 
opposite. Instead of you like, oh, I want to cook. Oh, I'm going to go watch some shows. It's more like, oh, I'm going to watch some shows. Oh, now I'm going to go do that. Why are the home remodeling shows? Husbands, don't ever let your wife watch a remodeling show because as soon as she does, she'll be like, hey, I want that. Did you know that's in and good right now? Before, she was completely ignorant. And actually, wives, I'm teasing on you right now, but it's really the guys are just as bad too. Like, oh, I need this. Honey. I just saw this cool show. You see, if you're not hungry and thirsting for righteousness, as pragmatic as it is, it's because you're staying away from God and His righteousness and His Word. And you simply just getting into that will begin to feed and create that hunger more and more. It's either going to draw you away from God or it will draw you to God. Value it, commit to it. I really have to speed up because with two services, we're on the clock. Third thing, ask God for help. Look verse 8 and 10. This is so simple and basic. I know, but it works. Ask God to help you to hunger for His righteousness. Verse 8, I will keep your statutes. God, I'm committed. I value it. Do not utterly forsake me. God, help me. I'm struggling with this. Help me. I'm committed to do it, but help me, God. Verse 10, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. God, I'm committed. I'm all in. Help me not to get over here. God, I need help. I'm not sufficient on my own. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. God, would you be my personal tutor? God, I'm having to do at-home instruction and video instruction. Help me. Help me to learn and grow. So ask God, God, I know I'm not hungering for righteousness. God, would you help me? God, teach me. I'm committed. God, help me. You see, there's, this is not a legalistic, you know, eh, you fail the test. This is a, God, help me to grow. I know you want me to grow in your word. Devour God's word is a fourth one. Verse 9, look what the Bible says. How can a young man keep his way pure? Here's the answer. By guarding it according to your word. Guard your, your heart, the Bible teaches us. Lean into God's word. Verse 11, I've stored up your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. 15 and 16, I will meditate on your precepts. It's another word for the truth of God. And fix my eyes on your ways. You can't fix your eyes on God's ways without focusing it on His word. And I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. In other words, ask God for help. And then spend time devouring, meditate, think about it, read it. Because as you give yourself to that, as you watch those shows, as you watch the Bible and read it, it's going to create a hunger naturally for you for the things of God. Because you're going to see the struggles that other people had and the grace and the mercy that God gave them and how God grew them. And, 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 and in that, the Holy Spirit's going to work in your heart and create that same desire within you. And the last one I would say is repeat it. Verse 13, he says, With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. It's not enough just to meditate and devour in it and, and to pray and lean in and all of that. But he says, you know what? I declare these things. Repeat them. Speak them out. Can be literal if you want, but, but speak it out. Share it with somebody else. That's be honest with you, that's the simple reason we do life groups. Because our, our life groups that we're starting up in October are designed that we take God's word in and we focus in on Sunday morning, the, the passage that we're looking at on Sunday morning, 
And it's our time that together as people to repeat them, to share how they are meaningful to us and where we're growing, where we're struggling, where God's giving us victory, where we need help, and we apply those in our life. The whole point is to cultivate in our heart a heart for God and a heart for His righteousness and living for Him. And repeating that is the simple whole reason why we gather together. It's good to sit and listen to hear God's Word and read it. And this is part of you devouring that God's Word and you reading the Bible and you're at home. But there's something about being with other people and repeating it and sharing it that God goes deeper. Well, let me give you the fourth thing. And this is very frankly, I'm trying to, I'm trying to sell you like the advertisement and why you want to spend time in God's Word and to hunger for this righteousness. What's it going to do for you? How's it going to bless us? Well, when you, as you create that hunger and as, as God is pulling you that way and as you lean into it and spend more time in that, Jesus promised us we're going to be satisfied. We will push back, as it were, from the table. You ever go someplace hungry, maybe tired or worn out, and you, you, you push back from the table and you've had good conversation with some friends or family, and you've had a, a good meal, and you're just you're satisfied, right? Just you don't have the pressure or whatever. That's what Jesus is telling us that we'll be satisfied. That we can, this is ours. Second thing is as we lean into this and pursue God's righteousness, that as he demonstrates through his Bible, it gives us wisdom. Look what verse 97 says. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Here's the benefit. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. Do you have any enemies that you need to be wiser than? The Bible will teach you that. It'll give you wisdom. For it is ever with me. I go to work and it's with me. He says, I have more understanding than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Do you want wisdom to how to live life? To know how to navigate the struggles with people at work? To know how you should respond to family issues? To where you should spend your money and what you should do? Any of us ever struggle with making any kind of life decision? Yeah, all of us, right? Every one of us. And God's telling us that Guys, if you pursue my righteousness, you're pursuing me, and you pursue my word, that's where the blessing, you get the picture now where it spills out in every area of life. Your whole life becomes blessed of God because you're living in such a way that, that, that you have a relationship with Him, but you have the wisdom to navigate, and He's walking there, and your life is lived with Him. And so you're, you have a relationship with God, you're saved, you're forgiven, you get all of that blessing... But even pragmatically and practically, you just know how you should live. You become wise way beyond your years because God's Word makes you that way. Second reason, you avoid shame. I shared a minute ago that, you know, how does a young man stay pure? By guarding it according to guarding himself, his way according to God's Word. Verse 6 says this, then I shall not be put to shame. In other words, when I, we keep God's statutes, then we will not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on your commandments. See, here's the deal. When you and I don't hunger and thirst for righteousness, when that's not priority in our life and we're not pursuing God, 
you will do shameful things. It's going to happen. You will absolutely do shameful things, and eventually those shameful things will find you out. Whether it's close family members, whether you run for office and it gets spread out on the TV for everybody to see, the shame will be there. See, when we hunger for God and we receive Him as Lord of our life, He changes us. And He delivers us from all those past wrongs, the, the guilt of those things, and the shame. And then He begins changing us to where we don't do that stuff anymore. We stop doing the shameful stuff. And He grows us. When you and I make this a part of our life, we avoid shame. I don't know about you. I want to be wise in this world, and I don't want to... I don't want, do anybody like shame? I don't. I don't, I don't have time here, but shame today, especially for our younger adults in this crowd, is not something that somebody puts on you. You shamed me. Shame is the stuff you do to yourself because you've done something stupid. Nobody can truly shame you. Who cares what they say? Who cares? We're talking about stuff that you do that really is shameful. This helps you avoid all of that. And then ultimately, when we die and stand before God, the ultimate shame that many people, the majority of people face, well, is they will expect to enter into heaven and to be with God forever because they've been a pretty good person and a religious person or person of faith. And Jesus will say to them, I'm sorry, you say you're righteous, but I don't see true righteousness. I see your pretty goodness, which is not good enough, I don't see the righteousness of my son that he died on the cross for. Why would I let you into heaven when you think yours is good enough and that cost my son his life and you didn't accept his goodness? And that shame will be lived out for an all of eternity. You see, I, I urge you, if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, avoid that eternity of shame and simply surrender and ask Him to be the one that saves you. The last one, and there's more in here in 119. I've taken what time that I can. But the benefit that we get is that we get a joy. We get to praise Him in joy as we lean into this righteousness. Verse 7, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn of your righteous rules. As we live righteously before God, there's a joy, there's a spring in our step. Yeah, we may not have this and that. We may have some troubles in our life, but we... Life has changed because we're blessed of God and we praise and have joy. So I'm going to wrap up with this. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ this morning, would you trust Him? Would you simply take that step of faith that prays before Him and says, God, I know that I've sinned. I know that I've done the wrong stuff that Sean's talked about this morning. And I, God, I admit that I've tried to fix it my different ways, trying to be good enough to make up for it. You know, you can't buy God flowers because you did something wrong. You know, he's not your girlfriend. He's not, you know, I'm going to just be really nice, you know, and earn my way back in. It doesn't work that way. The only way is coming to God on God's terms, not your terms. And his terms are simply his son, Jesus, who paid his, the price by giving his life for you to earn righteousness that you could not gain yourself so that he could give it to you. And He died in your place on the cross. So some of you, the step that you need to take is to surrender to Jesus 
Put your knee, kneel down like I shared about the, the, the sword and the knighting and say, Jesus, would you pro- pronounce me righteous? I trust you and you alone, not anything that I have done. Some of you, I'm sure, need to take that step of faith. Then others of you perhaps have taken righteousness for granted and kind of, kind of coasted through. If we're all being honest, I do that from time to time and you do. So go before God and say, God, forgive me. I just haven't been keeping my eye on the ball. I've got been distracted doing other stuff. And, I, and if that's where you are this morning, I want to challenge you a Psalm 119 challenge. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in all the Bible. I don't remember how many verses it is. You can look it up. It's divided up into 22 sections. Actually, each section is, is, starts off with the first letter of the Hebrew uh, alphabet. The first one's Aleph, then Baith, and Gimel, and Daleth, all those Hebrew letters down through. And I'm going to challenge you to read Psalm 119, but not just in one sitting. Actually, I'm going to challenge you the opposite. Read a section, maybe two, a day. And I'm going to challenge you to write down on a piece of paper, if you're a journaler, then write it in your journal. You're like, Sean, I'm not into that. I I won't ever keep up with it. I don't care what you do with the paper after you've done the challenge. Throw it away. Maybe fold it up and put it in your Bible. But would you in that paper, would you do two things? Write down each section. When you do that for that day, write down the things that God is trying to tell you that will help you hunger for Him and His Word. Write, Write those down. How... Does this help me cultivate a heart for God and a hunger for Him? Because God's going to show you some things in there that will challenge you and help you in your life. And then I want you, and this is completely selfish, how how am I blessed when I hunger for God's righteousness and cultivate this life with Him? What's in it for me? Now, I don't think your whole life as a Christian should be based that way, all right? So don't hang me, the super spiritual theological people in the room, all right? I'm with you. But God does want to bless us. So how are you blessed as you hunger and thirst for Him? I want you to write that down. This is way more important than watching any commercial you ever see or the next Netflix video. And I want to challenge you. If you take a section a a day, it'll take you three weeks to do this. If you take two sections a day, it'll take you like 11 days, a week and a half or so. And And I want to challenge you to do that. And ask God as you do that, God, would you help me? to take that step. You see, it's easy in our Bible times, if we're reading, to kind of either stop doing that or not know what to do. But this is you feeding yourself from God's Word and beginning to experience all of that blessing. So that's my challenge to you. And if I can help you with it, and you're like, Sean, what were those two questions? Rewatch the video or email me. I'll send them to you. It's not rocket science. But I want to pray for you. I want to help you. So let me know how I can serve you. So whatever God has been speaking into your heart right now, this is the time in our service. I'm going to close in prayer in just a minute. But this is your time to respond to God. Hopefully you've heard from God's Word this morning and you've been challenged, encouraged, helped. This is where you need to make tangible steps toward God. All right? Only God's going to be the one to know whether you did anything with this or not. But I'm urging you to do it because I want to see God's best in your life. And I want to see you live that life of blessing. So whatever that next step may be, taking the Psalm challenge, or maybe you're like, Sean, I'm already doing a big Bible thing. That's not for me right now. Maybe there's something else that you need to do. I, I, I don't care, but do something with it. 
to challenge your heart to hunger for Him. So let me pray for you, and that'll close our service. Father, I'm grateful for everyone this morning. I'm so grateful that your word is powerful to save. Thank you that Jesus taught us that we should hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, I know we'll never do that until we're poor in spirit, till we take stock of our own sinfulness. Lord, thank you that once we do that, you've promised to bless and to fill us. There's not a person in this room who's not made major mistakes in their life who've done things that are shameful, that they'd be embarrassed for other people to know. Father, every one of us would hang our heads if, if right now, if everything was that we have ever done would have been written on a screen here for the world to see, there's not one of us that would ever come back because it would be so embarrassing and so shameful. But Lord, your righteousness covers that. Jesus came to die for all of that junk. And I thank you that you give us your righteousness on our account. And Father, thank you that you teach us more and more to live in a way that honors you the rest of our life. Help us to hunger for you. Forgive us when we don't. And God, I pray that we would experience more of your salvation today and tomorrow than we did yesterday. More of that grace and that change in our life. Thank you for your love. I pray for those who will take this challenge, Psalm 119, that just share so much the richness of what it means to spend time in your word. Lord, would you especially bless them, help them to see things they've never seen before. I pray your spirit would transform them powerfully. I pray this, Father, in the powerful, eminent name of Jesus. Well, guys, God bless you. I pray you have a good week online. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I echo with Dan. We love to see you. Don't forget, in a couple weeks, we'll be uh, outside. Weather should be nice. Pray for that. Till then, have a great week. If I can do or Dan can do something for you, so email us, text us. We're here for you. So God bless you. Have a good week. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.